Well, you guys are going to be blessed. Uh, we just did a podcast for the last hour over in the studio, but uh, our guest tonight it has a very unique ministry, and I love the diversity that the Lord brings into our lives. But tonight, if you have not seen Free Burma Rangers, I encourage you, you can get it on Amazon. But please welcome Dave Eubanks. He's going to share with us. Y'all have a lot of courage. And what y'all went through last year, I was watching because I live overseas. And I thought, man, they're brave. You know, it's hard to take on when people are angry at you. But when other believers are angry at you, that's probably the hardest. And we can never tell someone else what they should stand for or love. But they can't tell you either. When someone says, oh, you got to do this for love. Is it love or fear? What is it? Each of us have to choose. Is it really love? And whenever I find myself in a situation wondering what am I going to do, I ask, is this fear that's leading me or pride or comfort? Those are kind of my tests. Or is it love? And if it's love, it's not crazy. I think of one story that none of this is rehearsed because I'm completely unprofessional. But I wasn't, I wasn't going to say this, but it, was, it actually involved Victor Marks. Some of y'all... He was here, right? He's a great friend. And we were in the Battle of Mosul, and he came to visit twice. And we were in the, in the, with the Iraqi army. I lost one of my team members. Four of us were wounded. We were in some very close fighting with ISIS, even though that wasn't our job. Our job was with the Iraqi army helping people. Well, during the lull in one battle, um, Victor came to visit kind of behind us, where my wife and kids were helping uh, people who were fleeing. And Victor gave us a lot of money a lot of the times. Like most groups don't give other groups money. NGOs don't give other groups money, but he gives a lot to us and opened many doors. Anyways, he showed up for about two or three days and it was kind of a lull, but I needed to go up to where the fighting still was and link up with one of the Iraqi elements we're supporting. And Victor said, okay, you go up there, you know, I'll be back here doing whatever. And I went up and as we went up in our Humvee, we had an armored Humvee. I'm not in the American Army. I used to be, but this is just our little organization, Free Burma Rangers, a bunch of ethnic guys from Burma, five of them. They're like the lemurs in Madagascar. They're just kind of, everything is kind of funny. Um, they've been in war their whole life. They're kind of like hobbits um, from Burma. They're Asian. They're about this tall, tough as nails, and laugh at everything. And they said, never be afraid of the guy that goes, walks around like this. Nah, be afraid of the smiling one. We call him Happy Killer. And... <laughs> So that's what my guys are like. Well, we drive our Humvee and we find out there's some civilians that need medical treatment in this building, but it's the real front, like you're getting shot at. And when our vehicle crosses this intersection, we get lit up. Um, and there's a 50 cal that goes right through our cupola, right by one of my guys. And this happens every time we go back and forth. And, now, and we've done our job, take care of casualties, we're gonna go back. And one of the Iraqis asked me, okay, this, this a battalion is usually in their army, four to 500 guys. They were down to 27 men against ISIS. This is the bleed of the, the weight of sorrow. I think most of us here know what it's like to lose a friend or family, maybe a family member. It's horrible. Well, the Iraqi people, I just thought the weight of sorrow on these people. Oh, my gosh. And this, this is 27 men left out of a 400-man battalion. Now, 27 more are on leave. They, they switch every 10 days. So you've got 60 people max out of 400 left fighting ISIS after almost two years of it. 
So they're ground down. I know every one of them. I lost 30 of them as my friends during the fighting. And they said, we heard you rescued an Iraqi girl the other day. We heard about it. And if any of you have seen our movie, there's a, a scene we run behind this tank to get this girl who's been hiding under her dead mom for three days. And everybody else is shot. Can you show it to us? It's on my laptop. I've got to go back, get shot at, and come back. What for? And I prayed about it, and, I, and we asked our team, it's for love. If you looked at it dispassionately, you think that's goofy or that's proud or you're trying to promote yourself or whatever. It wasn't that. I want to see this video because I've seen nothing good this whole year, of two years of fighting. But I heard you saved an Iraqi girl. That's our girl. That's my daughter. Wow. So we went back, prayed about it, went back, got fired up, got our tires blown out. My guy in the front, he was carrying an AK. Normally, we actually normally have no weapons, not because we don't want them, just because we don't have them. Round goes right through, you know, 50 cal rounds should, will cut you in half. It went right through his magazine, which is right here, and out the other side of Coppola. We showed the video, got shot at again going back. I just tell that story because that's kind of the extreme edge of like, what's the video? It's nothing. It's not worth your life. But for love. I just came out of Burma, and in Burma, this is the longest fighting um, in the world, 73 years of fighting, longest running civil war in the world. We're in a village just under attack. They all fled into the jungle. We're there giving relief because we're the Freedom Rangers, the relief organization. We're trying to help. I meet these four women. They're crying. What happened? They said, the Burma army burned our part of our village, attacked us. We all fled. A week later, our, our three of the women's husbands and their fourth woman had two brothers. They snuck back to the village to get the cows and chickens and pigs and money, whatever they had. And they go back. They got caught by the Burma army. The three men were beat up, had the throats cut, and they were thrown into the community sewer, which is just really like little bamboo huts, and there's a big pit. It's nasty. They were in there. The resistance, which are our friends, went in and got the bodies out, did a hasty burial, because Burma is coming again. But two brothers were thrown into a well. Throats cut, decapitated as it turned out, and then thrown into a well, about 40 feet down. And the sister says, can you get them back for us? Hmm. It's been five months. It's going to be pretty nasty, but that's just nasty. The Burma army is still there. So you're going to get killed to get some body parts back. And I remember I prayed and thought, why? And she's crying and looking at me for love, for love. So y'all may be asked to do something by somebody, and you can just test. Is this fear? Is this comfort? Is this pride? If it's love, I mean, God is the final judge for you. No one else is for love. So we went, I said, okay, I can't do it alone. I can do all kinds of bad things alone, and I've done them, and I can keep doing them. I can do nothing good alone. It's always other people praying or helping. And I said, I need the resistance to put up security so we can get in there, and you got to show us where there is, because I just showed up here, and we'll try to do it. So we pray, we go, I get lower down the well. And fortunately, we pumped the water out because it's about 20 feet of water. It's quite narrow. And the rocks are crumbling in the well. So it's like as you go down, I, I, and I only thought of this when I was partway down. Uh-oh. <laughs> if that rock comes down like at 40 feet, I'm a dead man. So I'm just praying. I go down, and I found a bamboo stick in the bottom. And the water is only about three feet deep. And it was just a sludge of body parts. And it 
It's pretty nasty, though. When it's down that thick, you can hardly breathe. And I got a skull up, and I clipped a rice bag to my hip um, and made a kind of expedient harness. I put one skull in. I found another skull. Everything else was in small pieces. And I yelled up to my medic, Ilya. He's in the movie also. Hey, ask the lady if is those two skulls enough because everything else is small parts. I was hoping she'd say yes. She goes, yes. They pulled me back out. The Burma Army's still not there. They're very close. And I hold the skulls up and I show it to her and she starts crying and she talks to them and says, I wanted to see you, but not this way. But at least I can honor you by giving you a proper burial. I know you two brothers are in heaven with Jesus, but this is what I can do for you. And she turned to me and said, thank you. So why would you do that? Because it's pretty nasty and super dangerous and it wouldn't be just me that we got killed. If the Burma Ring closed that loop, we lose 20 resistance and about 30 on my team. We're all dead for body parts. That's not the equation. The equation is, are you doing it for love? So if God or through someone else says, please do this for me, evaluate it. If it's for love, it is not crazy. And Jesus is with you. God is love. Jesus is with you. And in, you might not even succeed, but that love will. So I'm Dave Eubank. And... I want to introduce, I'm with the Free Burma Rangers. I used to be, a I am still a missionary kid. My, my mom and dad are 90, 93. They're still in the field in Thailand. And I have two daughters at Texas A&M University. They just beat up some poor little Sam Houston State. That's a guaranteed win. I don't know about the rest, but they're there. They're also rodeo, um, like Rick. They, they barrel race and Pete ropes. Um, we're here visiting them in the States, and now we're visiting y'all. And I want Karen and Pete to come introduce themselves. Good afternoon. My name is Peter Eubank. I am 16 years old. As my dad said, my sisters are in college in Texas. I am the youngest son. I'm the only son, but I'm the youngest. And I'm wearing a traditional outfit from Karen State, Burma. This is called a loungy, and it's what most men wear. It's like a tubular dress, but for men. And then this is a basket that a lady gave us from a small town in Kareni State, Burma. And a week after she gave us this back basket, she had to run away from her home due to the Burma army attacking her village. And she still has not been able to go back. So please continue to pray for Burma. And I'm Karen, and it's a gift to be here with you all. You're so strong in spirit and faith. And I just want to give you an encouragement that comes from the children's program that we do. It's Good Life Club program because that means good life comes from God, which is John 10, 10, abundant life. And when I was faced with a group of kids early, early on, I couldn't take care of them. I thought, what can I do for this group of kids? And I felt Jesus say, introduce them to me, and I will give them abundant life. I don't know how that works, but that's held me for 20 years. Introduce people to Jesus and he will give them abundant life. And that's true for us as well. So I pray for God's abundance personally and as a church family here. And thank you for welcoming us. Thanks. So our main work has been Burma for when I got out of the military. In, there, in, the, in between, I met Karen. We got married. We were invited to Burma, or Myanmar, it's also called, and we have relief teams in Burma. When ISIS started their activity, actually it was Victor Marx again. I'm in, we're in Burma. We're walking for two months. 
And the last 19 days, we have to go around the Burma Army because they're blocking the places we want to help. So we walked 19 days. We're walking about 20 to 25 miles a day with all our deer, which took most of the day because it's big mountains. We have a satellite little dish modem about that big and a laptop. And every day I send messages in and out. That's how we do our work. Because you got to coordinate with these teams and, and others. And I get an email from Victor Marks. Dave, I'm going to go to Erbil to do counseling for Yazidi women who are attacked by ISIS. You guys do frontline work. You have no rules. I'll pay your way. Come here in seven days. Seven days. First, never been to Iraq. Never wanted to go. And what would we do in the Middle East? No way to get there in seven days. It took us, we're on our second month of walking, took 19 days to get around the Burma army. There's no way to do it in seven, unless God does something. We pray together with our ethnic leadership. Most of our teams are from wherever we're at. These are Burman people, they're different tribes. And we all prayed, we had this strange peace, like we should just say yes. Besides it's impossible unless God does something, totally impossible. So we say yes, and the next morning, the three Burma army battalions that are blocking our way move to find us but they follow our old trail, which take them 19 days that way. It opens a gap about 80 miles. So we got three days to push through that gap, which we do walk mostly day and night. And we get to the China border and we cross it at midnight and no guards are there. That almost never happens. They just weren't there. And then we have a car crash because our driver falls asleep on the China side. And we're in an illegal to foreigner area we survive the crash, get out, we have to take a bus. Now we're totally exposed. No one on the bus looks at us. It's the weirdest thing. Long story short, Pete and I are in Iraq seven days later. Really happened. And Victor's like, okay, I'm, you know, he does different work than I do. And he goes, go to the front line. So I remember the Curtis general goes, you brought your son, your most precious thing. I give you my most precious thing, my country. And later on in the Battle of Mosul, Iraqi general said, you must think American children are the same value as Iraqi children because you're here with us. And my kids are not at the front kicking doors and shooting, but they're where other families are. And that's kind of how we operate in Iraq, in Syria, in Burma. Recently, we responded to the, the whole thing that happened in Afghanistan, and we're still working there in the north through the Tajik church. But I wanted to, I'm gonna show a couple of videos. Before I show this first one, in case I run out of time, I want to say the most important thing for me is that Jesus saves and he saves us from everything. And there's nothing bigger than him. There's no problem he can't solve. And I, I, was, I was a ranger officer in special forces, not by accident. I love that stuff. And I never got tired of being in a fight. Never. And in the Battle of Mosul, we had fights almost every day. And I never got tired of it. I got scared. I cried when I lost my friends, all that. But I never got tired of it. About three months ago, four months ago, in the middle of a, of a battle in Burma, I'd lo we, we've lost 13 people this last year. I'm very close to all of them. I baptized some of them. They're like my kids. One guy died right next to me. And that night, I just said, wow, I'm done. I don't know if you ever felt done. I am done. I'm scared. But it's not just fear. I'm tired of being so sad and I'm done, done. I've never been done ever. I'm 62 um, later this month. I've never been done. Wow. But you know, when you're done, I said, Jesus, if you want to do me to continue, 
you've got to do something to me unilaterally. And I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning, fine. I mean, I still, I can cry easy now. I, like, I think three things happen <laughs> to make you cry. One is the, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to feel what he feels. And then two, the older you get, there must be something about that. Because my dad cries a lot. He's a big, tough Texan. He's like Rick. And then the third thing is, if you see a lot of sad things, that makes you cry. Well, I'm, I'm kind of qualifying for all three. And I woke up the next morning fine. And, and even though I can cry a lot, you can live well with sorrow. Sorrow is connected to love. Jesus wept. We all can live well with sorrow. We can't live with shame or hate or those things. And Jesus comes to take them away. And he took away everything from me, except I was still kind of sad, but I was okay. You know, that's, that's supernatural. How can it be okay? I got things for you to do. And so that's what I want to say. If anyone he, here feels the end of whatever, just ask Jesus to help you. Just ask him to help you and keep asking and watch what he does. He loves you and he has a supernatural power to help you. So what I wanted to show here um, is something, it'll just speak for itself. It's a clip on Syria. It's called Dedication. But you can see the destruction that is still here. defeated by the Syrian Democratic Forces and these cities have been uh, controlled since four months by these forces. It's 4 February 2018 in Raqqa and this is the remains of one of the churches in Raqqa and our prayer is that it will rise again. Thanks for praying. because I felt like I want to bring God back into the church that these Christians made here in Raqqa and bring him back so he can restore what he has originally built. This is for February 2020. We're in Raqqa. This is the remains of the church that was destroyed by ISIS. And with God's help and a bunch of wonderful people, we're rebuilding it. You can see the destruction around here and you can see the new building going up. And so we pray this gets done in Jesus' name, amen. People like the Eubank family here and their supporters are rebuilding this church literally from the ground up. ISIS destroyed it. We will not stand for evil to overtake us in any part of the world. 
is what this is all about. Oh, this big place. Thank you. Thank you everyone who, who they support, uh, supported the, uh, the buildings of uh, the, the church from the beginning again. Uh, it's a great gift for us, again, to, to feel hope in Raqqa. Raqqa was the, the, the capital of, the, of ISIS in Syria and uh, Iraq. Today we are having a new, new church here. We are having a new faith by, by the support of the FBR and all the, uh, all the good, good, good people, let's say. I'm speechless. I'm so happy I'm crying. We thank God. And thank you, the Raqqa Civil Council, the SDF, the Armenian believers, the Arabs, the Kurds, the Christians, everyone who came together, William, who introduced us to this, Bashir, all the donors, thank you so much. We praise God for the dedication of the Armenian Apostolic Church here in Raqqa on 10 November 2021. God bless you all. Thanks. Thanks. That's my daughter Sahaley singing, and we thought it was impossible, and we were when we first went into that wrecked church, we were, we, Victor opened the door for us to go the first time into Iraq and then we kept going there. And then we ended up working in Syria. We were at the last stronghold of ISIS when they fell in Baguz, 2019. And then we went by that church and we thought, no way. And I remember I was in the church and the ruins of it. And I, I said, Hey, we should pray. And I prayed this perfunctory prayer. God, please bring the Christians back and rebuild the church. And I thought, that's not true. I wouldn't want to come here. And Who's going to, that'd be a waste of money to rebuild this church. I said, oh, I'm sorry, man. That was just a prayer, like whatever, rubber stamp prayer. So I said, Jesus, how do I pray? And I felt God clearly tell me, pray that same prayer, but this time with faith. And that's what happened. And it took a lot of people and a lot of uh, help to get that. So I thank God for that. So we're working in Syria, Iraq, and again, responding to the, the situation in Afghanistan to right now. Um, I was telling Rick earlier, through our partnership in the Tajik Church, they baptized, I think, 35 Afghans that have fled across, helped thousands more. So, but our main effort is still in Burma. We just came out of Burma to come here. And in all our time in Burma, which is about 30 years, we, this is the heaviest fighting I've ever seen. And the death rate, we have about a million and a half displaced, and we've lost a total of about 40 of our team but thousands more of the people around us killed. Very brutal. And after one mission where we'd lost five people, there was another Christian missionary in Thailand, which is the neighboring country, who knew one of the people who was killed, a girl named Elizabeth, very sweet young lady, and made a video to honor Elizabeth and some of the others who died. And so I, I wanted to show that, because this video kind of speaks for itself too. What you're gonna see in the beginning, you're gonna see young men they're Karini, they're one of the ethnic groups in Burma resisting the Burma army. You can see their town in the background. They're trying to take it back from the Burma army. And you'll see, you'll see Elizabeth, this beautiful young lady who responds to an airstrike on a church 
And as she responds, the Burma army mortars the church, and she's going to get killed. And Rito, you'll see a guy, you'll see one guy being drugged by myself and one of my teammates. He's already dead. And again, why would you drag a dead body? Why? Why? I, he's in heaven. I felt like that's what I'd want for my kid. Because if you leave him behind, they will be sliced up. They'll be photographed. And I just thought, I don't want to see that with my kid. So it's not, I don't want to die doing it, but I got to try. And so, yes, we, we got his body out. And I remember one of our first guys that was killed recently was last year. He was killed running into a village, taking people out as the Burma Army is advancing. And he got nine people out. And the 10th run, he was shot in the head and killed. His body was left there. And our team, I wasn't there at that time. Our team ran through fire three days later and got his body out. And I talked to his mom and dad and I said, how are you? We'd already been talking earlier. This is a year later now. How are you now? And they said, our son lived for other people and Jesus. And he gave his life that others may live. There's no higher thing a child can do that a parent would be satisfied with. And your guys got his body out so we can give him a proper burial. We are satisfied. Wow. Satisfied. So I'm not sure what that means to y'all. That's just something I'm sharing. I'm, I don't know what you're going to face and what you have faced here. But if you do it for love, God is with you. And his power is going to enable you to do what you can't do alone. And this video will show you a little bit of what's happening there and the, the situation in Burma. And most importantly are the words because they're from the gospel. Surround me like 
thanks. Those last lines, the fellowship of his suffering, I was praying, God, this is like sad. <laughs> it is sad. But a church, as a church, we're together to help each other through each other's suffering. And Jesus is there with us. And I think I, I learned this when one of my guys was killed and Kurdish women were mourning that a, a sorrow shared is divided. A joy shared is multiplied. And that's one of the roles of the church, to share each other's sorrows, to forgive each other, and to celebrate when things go well. And I thank God that he's right in the middle of it. So I like to pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for all your love for us and ask you, please forgive us our sins and lead us on. And thank you for this opportunity to enjoy life and share about you and ask that you speak the truth about yourself to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, Dave and I are going to sit down and have a conversation about a lot of this heavy stuff, maybe some questions that you have uh, I'll be able to present to him, and we're just going to be um, sharing heart to heart because how does Jesus rule and reign in a country torn by war? Is there joy there? Can we help people? Is there a place that we are defending the innocent as people are trying to evacuate? These are all things that um, people can theorize about, but they do not have to actually day in and day out deal with it. So it takes it out of this theoretic zone and brings it into the warp and the woof, as the Old Testament says, the fabric of reality. And I think as a, a child of God, don't you want to be connected to reality? Don't you want to be connected with what's going on in the world? Don't you want to uh, see what other people are dealing with? And, and you're worried because, you know, you got to unfriend it on Facebook. I mean, it seems pretty outrageous in comparison. And as we talk about these things, the gospel in the midst of a war-torn place, because you've been there and involved since 93, almost 30 years of this, I don't, I, I don't want it to, as you're talking to us, this is a reality to you that everybody here, I'm sensing, you know, that the oxygen got sucked out of the room a little bit with some of the people, because this is their, like, you know, a stark reality to them. And how is that process for you coming from a soldier that is in the army to now one that is doing relief work? And in the early stages, did you have any wrestling matches in your soul as you got into this? And now you're armed and having to actually put down bad guys if they're trying to harm the villagers that you're trying to protect and evacuate. Tell us about that process, what was going on in your soul. Yeah, I remember one time we were on a mountain in Karen State, and the village had been attacked. Everybody fled over a mountain. And early the next morning, it was winter, and, and it's the tropics, but we were up at about 5,000 feet. So at 5,000 feet in winter, it freezes every night. In the daytime, it gets back up to like 70 or 80. But this place, it froze. But there's there, people are dressed in rags with nothing. They flood their home. And the kids were freezing, trying to find the sun. And there was little ice crystals on the grass. And I remember walking out there, and I had like a pal, pal army, old army thing, and I was plenty warm. These kids were not. And I remember being out with them, and it made me really mad. 
like, man, the Burma army just not only killed these other people, but chased all these, and these little kids are freezing because this attack. Then they said, hey, can you go back up to our village and, and see if it's, the Burma army's gone so that we can go back and get our goats and whatever else, because we just fled. Okay, we don't just walk into the village. We go to the hill next to it, and we watch it for an hour. And we watch it, and nothing moves. And we go, okay. And I, I said these words. I stood up, and it was, this was the little hilltop that had been harvested before. So there was only a few trees. And there's some bushes and maybe five real trees. And I stood up out of the bushes, and, the, and then there's a slope above me that's cleared rice fields up to some jungle. I said, I think it's okay now. Boom, 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 boom. Just like Mr. Bean. And they, it's two battalions on this hill opening up with everything they had. Machine guns, rifle, RPG, M79, um, 60 millimeter mortars. Oh, 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 boom, 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 boom. And we have barely anything to hide behind. But we're not going to retreat because behind us is all those kids. And if you ever want to be brave, ask for love. It doesn't take a lot of bravery to protect anybody in your family, right? You just do it. You never would even call it bravery. You're going to be scared. You're going to do it anyway. But for a stranger, mm, love. Love will do it. And so out of love, we stood our ground. It wasn't even that hard. Now, I'd be, I get scared a lot all the time. But, I mean, I remember being scared but kind of technically scared of the metal. But I ain't going to move, man. It'd be like if someone said, I'm going to shoot your wife. Well, I'm going to be in front of her. And they pounded us for about 30 minutes, and they couldn't make us move. And I think it might have scared them. All they do is just advance down the hill and smoke us. There's only five of us on this hill. But they didn't move. And finally, this old Karen leader came up, the Karen's an ethnic group, threw all the bullets, and he goes, what are you doing? You got to get out of here. I said, I'm not leaving till the villagers left. And, then I, and he said, they've been gone a long time, and they run faster than you. And then... Right then, this mortar lands in front of us. It should have killed us 10 yards. Anybody knows mortars, 60 millimeter, you're dead. And it just cut. I was behind a tree about as thick as that at the base, and it split into two branches as thick as that. It just cut them right over my head. And he, he's smoking a cigar the whole time. I think it's time to go. So we, we, we got out. And, but I was mad now. I'm alive, and I'm mad. So at that point, I had a 45. That's all I had with two magazines, so 14 rounds. And I grabbed one, and, and, and our whole group, we had one M16 with 20 rounds. That was it. That's the state of the city. It's not the Middle East. No one's supporting these guys. And I took this weapon, and I thought, I see this gully going up. I know where the Burma Army is. I'm going to flank them. I'm going to kill some of them. I'm not super soldier. I'm, not, I'm nothing. I'm nothing special. That's a fact. I got into the units I did by just not quitting. And reality is they need you more than, than they advertise. So, but I'm going to kill these guys, as many as I can. And I start going up, and to me, it was complete justice. Hey, man, they're killing people. These kids are running. They just tried to kill me. I'm going to make them pay. And as I went up this ravine, I just felt God speak to me. What are you doing? I'm hunting. Did I ask you to hunt? No. Then who are you serving? I just stood there. Oh, I can't believe it. So I turned around and went back. And I question all the time. And I have kind of two stories I tell about this that kind of bracket it. When someone says, are you a pacifist? Are you this? I'm not anything except I want to follow Jesus. And he has something for us every day and every moment's different. And I trust him to tell me what to do. So one point, 
I was, um, I told you about sitting in the road. I kind of, and that ISIS came around the corner. I was with Lieutenant Hussein. I'm sitting in the street, providing medical support as they go through Mosul. We make a big mistake by thinking they're not in one place, but actually they are. And we're sitting in a street and they come around the corner, lighten us up. They shoot Hussein six times. They shoot me once. And I just said, I thought I was dead for sure. Like it's over. And I said, God help me. And I fought back one by one by one. And later on, I prayed for those guys, for their souls. And someone said, you can't do that. Yeah, I can say anything I want, man. God says you can ask for anything. He can say no. That's his business. I'm going to ask. And if it's stupid, God will not answer it. I'm not afraid to ask God. I care about those guys. I'm not that different. Jesus, please forgive them and take them to heaven. Please. That's my, I'm advocating for them. I've learned, too, when you do that, use for your own soul's sake, at least for me. It's my own protection. I have no regrets shooting those guys. I wish it had turned a different way. I'm not better than them. I'm not sinless. It's just with, when I saw their eyes, they were laughing at me. They were so happy to kill me. They were going to keep doing this if someone killed them. They also have a belief that once they're dead, they get these certain things. They were, they were going to do this to their dead. There was nothing good in what they were doing. I could be wrong about everything I'm telling you in terms of my interpretation. I'm just telling you what I believe. God's going to show it. When we get up there, we're going to know. But that's, that was one response. Another time, I was in a village. We were with the Kurds liberating an, uh, an, an Arab village before the Battle of Mosul, and the U.S. did an airstrike, which the U.S. is very careful in its airstrikes, generally very good. There was ISIS next to a house. They killed ISIS and killed everybody in the house accidentally. I show up, and all the village men, they're pulling the bodies out. They never got the baby out to this day. It's just buried under rubble. But you see these little feet poking out of blankets, and they're going to bury them, and they are sad and furious. I don't care if you came to liberate us. You just killed my family, man. And I looked at this crowd of men, and my interpreter, Shaheen, says, he dies later in the Battle of Mosul. He goes, don't go there, man. And I thought, I shouldn't go there. I said an affront to them. I'm an American. It's like salt in the wound. And then I said, I prayed, God, what, do you, what should I do? And I felt Jesus remind me, you're my ambassador. Who else is going to speak for me here? Go there. So I had an AK-47. I, I go many places and most places without a gun. That's a fact. I just don't have one. They're hard to fly around with. And I just trust God will give me something if I need it. If I don't, I'm going to go anyway. It's never a prerequisite. It's just a tool. Like if I had no car and I was invited here, I would walk. I would have to start like yesterday. But I would walk. And so guns, knives, passports, they're just tools. And so often I have nothing. But in this case, I had a lot. So I put my AK down, put all my battle rattle down. I had a Glock. I stuck it in my pants behind my shirt because I'm a chicken. And I like options. And I walked up to this crowd of men. I'm not, and this poor translator, I'm dragging him along. He's like, oh, my God, they're going to kill us. And I started to apologize for what the Americans had done. I said, I'm an American, too, and I'm responsible. It's not, the, oh, the government, no, 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 we're in this thing. I'm sure that pilot, was, it was an accident. I bet he has kids. He's probably 30-something years old. And he's, if he knew he'd killed a family, he would be torn up. I kept saying, I'm sorry. And the guy just looked at me stone cold. Like, and finally, I, I couldn't say I'm sorry anymore. And I got on my knees. And I said, I don't have time to tell my wife and my kids. Ask them if I can do this, but I'm going to give you my life. I've got a Glock right here. You could pull it out and shoot me. I will not resist you. I'll trade my life for your eight. It's not fair. 
that's all, but I can't give you more than my life. When I said that, I just closed my eyes. I was a total peace. I didn't know they're going to kill me or not. I knew I wouldn't fight. And the older brother of the surviving family, big dude, they're like you. Some of the guys are like you. They're big and strong. They just lift me up. And he goes, we don't hate you. And he started to cry. And I started to cry. And we became friends. Later on, we built a playground in memory of those kids. And so I just tell those two stories that you don't know. And when I talk to my kids um, about fighting or self-defense, I always say, number one, pray. Don't let, don't let Satan be the coach. Pray, smile, and walk away. And if you can't walk, run. And then if that all fails, keep praying and fight for your life viciously. So I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's my, what I tell my kids and what I try to tell myself. And there's some real fighters here. And I, I, I want, you're all my friends now, so I'm on your side. But um, I remember one time I'd spoken at the White House, which is a very unusual occurrence for me, but it happened. And I came out and there's a guy in a wheelchair next to me from Burma. He goes, they didn't want us here. And he didn't just mean government. He meant the de demons and spirits. And right when he said that, there was this guy who walks across this and out in front between the White House and the, and the Washington Monument, this big, long, open area. He comes walking, he's cursing and cursing and cursing. And he's big dude, man. He's like your size. And he's got a beard. He's got a, yeah. To me, what, he's I, big. I am a monster now? What no. happened? I was like. Well, when, in Burma, they asked me, are. Um, I feel like well, I'm Shrek or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, compared to me. And compared to the people I work with, which well, are about Pete's size. Micah told me I was breaking the leg on the chair, so I'm really getting a complex. I mean, I was, <laughs> it's like you're breaking the leg on the chair. I'm like, I'm not that heavy. Powerful. Anyway, anyway, um, this guy's cursing at us, and he comes up, and he threatens my kids. I'm going to do that with a lot of bad words, and I step in front between my kids and him, and, I saw, and, I, and I'm alert, but I size him up, and I'm not that scared. I thought, I can take him. I, I wrestled in college. I fought my whole life. I'm not as good as that guy. But, but I, Bryce you know, is the other you big know, guy in the room. You know, he's got a theme going on here. Yeah. You know when, um, you know what you can do in life. Like if you're good at horse riding or whatever you're good at, you know, ah, uh, that guy, uh, you know, whatever. And I thought, I can take this guy. He's got a big jacket on, big mistake. I'm going to use that jacket. And, I, and, and I'm all right. He's wrong. He's evil. And I can, if it had been Mike Tyson, I wouldn't have thought any of these thoughts. But this was like, uh, I don't care how big he is. I can tell he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's got all the wrong clothes on. And I'm going to use them. And I'll be a hero. That's just pride. And, and then I said, Jesus, what do I do? And Jesus told me, use my name. And I was like, I don't want to use your name. Because I can finally win. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it was like, do you want to go my way or not? You asked me. And so I said, um, did you know Jesus loves you? And he goes, you use a lot of bad words. Ah, I love, ah, I'll kill you. Ah. And I said, hey, man, don't use that language anymore more in front of my kids. But Jesus does love you. Ah. And I said, in Jesus' name, stop. He stopped. Really happened. In Jesus' name, back off. And he backed off and left. Just left. That's the power of Jesus. I don't know what he's going to, it's not a formula. You got to do what he tells you. Amen. So Amen. that's, so yeah. my long answer is just do what Jesus tells you. And it might be run. It might be surrender. It might be fight. I don't know.
but he knows. That's a quick prayer when the, the soldiers were lighting you up and you're like, God, help me. Yeah. That's a fast prayer in that moment. And, and to have that reaction and be led by the spirit and to be each situation, however the Lord leads you. And if it's to defend or if it's to walk away. And I think that that opens up the reality that, you know, I mean, there's this whole movement about, um, you know, it's, it's bad to have guns or any kind of violence. And yet the disciples wrestled with this a little bit. And Jesus said, you know, when I sent you out before, I told you to go with this equipment. This time when you go, I want you to sell your cloak and I want you to buy a sword. And the disciples said, we got two. And he said, that's enough. That's, that's sufficient, right? One for each hand. I think you're good to go. And uh, a lot of people don't look at it that way. They dismiss that or Jesus says, that's enough. I'm not going to uh, talk about it anymore. Some Christians take that, that angle. And um, the reality there is it's a dangerous world out there. Jesus was sending his disciples and it appeared that the weapon of the day to defend themselves after they've prayed, after they've smiled, after they've turned around, after they've ran for their life, there's a point that you have to defend maybe the people you're with or your family. And um, I just think it's, it's important to talk about that reality in life, especially in a dangerous place like you are uh, in Burma or other war-torn places. But that was Washington, D.C., where it might be a physical altercation. And so thanks for sharing all those stories because I think it gives everybody a lot of uh, different situations where the Lord moves you to do different things. And sometimes we're going to take a blow. I was, you know, witnessing to a guy on the construction site. And if you want to have violence, tell people about Jesus on the construction site. And I had been witnessing to this guy all week long and he was on scaffolding doing the false ceilings. And uh, I shared with him the, the, the capper, which was without Jesus, he was going to hell. <laughs> and uh, and I was on my knees. I was a tile setter, and I was on my knees. And he, like a monkey, he flew off of the scaffolding towards me. And I was on my knees, and I thought, do I jump up and throw down, Lord? or do I? And the Lord's just like, just take what comes. And so I was on my knees, and I just closed my eyes like, this is going to hurt, whatever he's going to do. And he rushed right up to me and stopped short and then cursed at me and walked off. But I was glad I didn't jump up to throw down because, I, you know, and I mean, in that moment, just to take each moment that comes your way and let the Lord lead. So thank you for that. Is there, um, have you had people push on you about this issue and been attacked for it in any way? Yeah, I, we have two main attacks on us. One by non-Christians is that we're too Christian and we're proselytizing and sharing about Jesus. That's not amen, good. which That's, is a good thing. Yeah. That's often in the kind of in, in the political world, governments or big NGOs, not the not the non-Christian ones. Okay, that's one. Okay, you're too Christian. And then the other one is you got too many guns. We don't have too many guns. That's a fact. But did you have guns at all? And my only answer is this for us. Our role is humanitarian. That's a role. Our role is not soldiers. But sometimes because of where we are. You don't have to fight. You never have to fight, but you have to choose. You're going to fight or you're going to die. Or you're going to fight and, they're, and if you don't, they're going to die. That's between you and God. And for us, it's just a day-by-day -day thing. But yeah, I, I pray about it because I know also none of us here's heart is changed by anything but love. So fighting someone never changes their heart, ever. Although, you know, 
when my dad punished me when I was wrong, it definitely reset a perspective. And I could go, uh, maybe I should change my heart. But generally, it doesn't work. And so how can you ever fight? I think kind of what you said. I, I think first is asking the Lord what to do. And also, we're not responsible in the end for someone's soul. That's between God and them. I just do my best to give love. But as far as I can, I'm not going to let you kill all these kids, whether they're my kids or not. And we rarely, I think, face that in, in life. Someone here might or already has, maybe, in this country. It's kind of episodic, um, sporadic. Over there, it's often. But I, I felt peace. I felt peace in our main role of sharing the gospel and providing assistance. Although many times I want to fight a lot more than I do. I don't fight that much, very infrequently. And I want to fight more. But I only want to fight when I can win. So I'm complete fake. I mean, like when you're going through, anybody here has been a soldier, when you're in the valley and the enemies around you, you're saying, God, can't we just be friends? Don't let them shoot me. And as soon as you're on the high ground, you're like, bring them. <laughs> and that's real life. But yeah, and I, I finally think, I'm if people knew what I really thought and some of the things I've really done, I got plenty of sense to convict me. So they have no idea. You know, pick a fight over that. That's nothing compared to what I think. And so to me, um, in 1 John um, 3, 16 to the end, it's a great thing about, you know, 1 John 3, 6, John 3, 16 is God loved the world, gave his only son. 1 John 3, 16 is similar, except it puts us in there. So we ought to be, lay it on our life for others. And then towards the end, it says something like, we know this is true because the spirit speaks in our heart. And we open ourselves to Jesus. He always tells me, yep, Dave, you did the right thing. Or I'm, I'm with you. One time I, we were pinned down by ISIS and they were in a trench and I came up to the trench and they were hosing down the, the Kurds. And I thought, I'm not going to go in there. Number one, I'll be dead because they got the drop on you. As soon as you come in, they shoot the first guy. Second, it's not my job. I'll lose all my mission support. All Christians, maybe a lot of people in this room would say, that guy's weird. We're not going to help him. That'll be bad. Third, I'll, I'll be doing their job, which is going to mess things up. Fourth, I'll be killed. God, what do you want me to do? I just said this prayer, and I heard him say, clear as day, do your best. Well, I'm an infantry officer. I was in Rangers and SF. I know how to do it. So I went and did it one by one. There was three of them in this trench. As I went, this is not a defense of fighting. Please, I'm just telling, this is a witness like I'm on the stand. As I went, I heard a psalm go off in my head, which almost never happens to me. And when it was over, I thought, well, if God tells you to go somewhere, he goes with you. He didn't just say, good luck, buddy. And those three guys, I dressed them all up and closed their eyes and prayed for their souls. I felt no regrets until an hour later, it dawned on me, they got parents. And doesn't matter what your kid does, you don't want anybody shooting them, guaranteed. No way. And I, was, I felt sick to my stomach because of the parents. I know what that would feel like. I got kids. And so then I just prayed again, Jesus, I, I'm sure they're Muslim. Please do something in their hearts. Do something because I care about the parents and I care about these guys. So I don't even plan to tell this story, but I don't have an answer. I think you all have to ask God um, what to do in each case. I just know when I ask him and I really listen, 
always tells me, whether it's run away or use his name or something else. Now, I was with Victor Marks and spent a couple hours with him last week, and he told lots of Dave's stories. And one of them he told, and you can verify this, and I might be getting it wrong, but you and some of you guys were behind a, a mound or a hill, a bit pinned down by a truck that was on this other side, and you took off running through a rice paddy to uh, draw some fire, and the guys came around behind them and, and to deal with that situation. Did that happen? Are you familiar Something with what you... like that. Yeah. I, I have a, a, another story, though. It's about Burma. Okay. And it's about love. <laughs> um, there was, Karen was doing a kid's program. We're in a village that's close to Burma Army. And I heard this machine gun and a bunch of shooting and, and RPGs go, bang, 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 bang. And a widow comes in. Hey, what happened? They tried to shoot at me, the Burma Army, on that hill as I planted rice. I'm just a woman, widow, planting this rice, and they're, they're trying to kill me. And I prayed and I said, can we help you plant the rice? And she goes, are you crazy? Are you white people faster than us brown people? Because you better be faster than a bullet. And I said, no, I want to do it. Do you need the rice planted? She goes, of course, there's no way. So we all prayed together because we always pray. We don't just go, hey, I'm going to do that. I try never to do that because often I'm an idiot. So I just say, Jesus, what do I do? Ask our team. Yeah. Ask my wife. And my wife does not like anything that goes boom. And she goes, yeah, Dave, we got to help her. So the whole family went out along with our team. We got to the wood line. I asked Karen and the kids to stay in the wood line and film because we document everything. And so the, my, my girls and Pete are filming. And I didn't think we we're going to get shot at because it's raining and the clouds are down and they cover the Burma Army camp. They can't see us. So it's not going to be that hard. It's just a lonely, a little scary. And we walk out in the rice fields and... I don't realize this, but it stops raining. I'm not really paying that attention to that. And the clouds go up. And all of a sudden, and I don't even know this yet. I only noticed later when I watched the video. The clouds are up. We're like walking out there like, like one of those cartoons. <laughs> you can't see me. And bum, 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 And bullets are all around us. And we barely make it back. My kids almost get shot. Pete throws his shoes off opposite of an American because he's faster that way. And he doesn't stop filming, though. They all jump into this creek bed. We all survive it. And I thought, okay, what do we do now? We didn't plant anything. And we pray. And I feel, I'm going to plant rice. Is that stubbornness? Yeah. But I mean, is it stubbornness in a good way? No, it's love. She needs her rice planted. And it's practical. So she looks at me like, you are crazy. I said, no, man, I'm doing this for you. So one of my best medics, Joseph, crawls out with me because he's got to teach me how to do this. Because I haven't planted rice in 20-something years. You have to take a little clumps apart from the seabed and we put in nine clumps that's all i was too scared to do more i just went out put them in didn't get shot at because i was so low down behind a dike got back and it was almost more symbolic than reality and we left we came back the next year which is like four months july met the widow again and she goes you know what happened we were all motivated by that so that night we went out the whole whole village men and me at night with no lights so we wouldn't get shot. We planted these straight rows of rice. And here it is. She gave me a whole bag of rice. Here's your share. This is what your clumps did. That's so great. Whoa. That's awesome. So then, okay, that was pretty amazing. But then the Kren resistance says, you want to meet three defectors? Yeah, from the Burma Army. There's three guys from that hill, including the machine gunner that shot at us. They'd run away from Burma Army. 
And then I showed them the video. That was me you're shooting at. And their eyes were like that big, like, we're dead. We are dead. And I said, you know, when you shot at me and you shot at my kids, I would have killed you. Sure. But thank God I couldn't. <laughs> but you ran away and I forgive you. And you've got a new chance to ask Jesus into your life right now and change this whole thing, man. Look what happened. And that widow planted all that rice. So I don't even know why I told you that story, but that's a real story. <laughs> Let's wrap it up with this. Your family's with you out there. It's dangerous, just like uh, Pete was in a dangerous place right there trying to plant the rice. What was the scariest situation your family has been in where you felt like, I am so vulnerable right now, and my family's with me, and it's, it's really, you know, and how, how did the Lord make a way out of that? We've been through a lot of bad things together as a family. So I've had many scary moments, but the scariest moments had nothing to do with fighting. It was when each kid one by one got really sick, pneumonia, cerebral malaria, and typhus, and they were all three gonna die. And I think for any parent, when that happens, that's the end of your world. And I couldn't do anything about it, but pray. And that was the worst moment. And in our case, the kids all lived miraculously and through some medicine that was brought into the jungle and a bunch of other things happened. And if they had died, I could not have dealt with it. There's no way, except for Jesus. And I have not experienced that loss, but I've experienced other ones and I've experienced Jesus helping me. And so I'm counting on that by faith that if that does happen to me, I can make it with Jesus. But without him, no way. I know that, no way. Those are the toughest to watch them dying and not be able to get out fast enough or not being able to solve the problem. I remember one thing that happened in the middle of that with our daughter. She had typhus, four weeks of 104 temperature, can't eat. She could drink though, so we didn't have to put an IV line in her. And we're trying every medicine that didn't work. We're way in the jungle. And um, one of our doctors went up at night and he prayed at my house. And he said, Dave, when I prayed, I closed my eyes and I saw your house surrounded, it's a bamboo house in the jungle, surrounded by evil absolute evil to kill you. And I looked up and I saw, I didn't see God, but I saw something and God was angry. What does that mean? Why does God let even that happen? I don't know. And the next day we got the right medicine that was experimental that worked. I don't know God is angry, but I know he hates sin and he hates evil and he's on our side. And he's given us part of his kingdom, and we get to pray and work at it. I don't know how that works, but I thank God that they are alive and they're here. So, well, sickness is such a part of the jungle life. I mean, it's just, it's, it's all the time. It mm -hmm. appears when you're and doing a lot of mission stuff and and going to India and Africa. Just, uh, you know, as an American, you're going with, I got all my shots, I got all my medicine. But when people are there and your kids, especially making them that vulnerability, one of the things that happens with you as you share with these Burmese people or the others is you share the gospel with them and they come to Christ. And I'd like to end uh, with your very close friend who uh, his life was taken right next to you and the vision that you saw afterwards uh, in the sky, Sienna's. Uh, smiling face. Share that because there's a hope. The reality of eternity 
is has to be so much more palpable to your life in these moments of it's 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 life and death it's life and death it's life and death and share that story and just uh, what that guy meant to you and how all that unfolded yeah the main thing we want to be and this is my prayer request to be a better evangelist um and that our our teams would be more even like family than teams with god in the center we always share the gospel with everyone because that's the only thing that works for me that's what i say you can believe whatever you want i may be wrong this is what works for me try it man and one of our guys um his name is zal sang when i told you that scene and we're in the street and i'm fighting back he's the guy that came up to help me drag hussein's body out who lives through it but very close he carried my kids since they were babies he's their uncle i mean he's the brown skinned kachin from northern burma but he's their uncle you should have heard them wail when he died it was just horrible so and he's like my brother and we were in syria in 2019 isis has already been defeated in terms of territory but there's a proxy group of al-qaeda and others supported by turkey which is complicated but true and they invaded northern syria 2019 october 9th and it went on for about two months 400,000 people displaced many killed and we were there responding medical care at the front line going backwards every day. And Zal, my cameraman and videographer that makes almost all our videos, um, had, had been in our armored ambulance. Most of the day, we moved it around a little bit to avoid certain shootings, and we'd go and help people. He'd been inside working on a video because he tried to send out stuff every day, like a two-minute two minute package. And he got done, and he, he said, I'm done. And I got in and was with his tablet in the, inside the vehicle for the first time the whole day. He gets outside where I'd been, and a, a drone strike comes in right on us, boom. And he's hit. Two of my guys are hit and wounded, but they're okay. He's got a, round, he's got a shrapnel from the rocket because in his temple and out behind his ear. And he's got a huge hole through and through both sides of his neck. So this is instant death. This is like seconds or maybe a minute. And then he's got a huge hole in his back. So any one of the three is a killer, but these two are right away. And I look at him and he's on his back and there's dust everywhere and there's still... Uh, mortars coming in because the enemy's just over the hill and they're shooting. And I'm running through the dust, looking at him. His eyes are rolled back. I can see those two wounds and they're dead wounds. And I know he's dead, but I love him. And I don't want to believe it. And I want God to fix him. And as I start to touch him, my eyes are drawn up. And this has never happened to me before. But my eyes are drawn up and I see Zal's face. He's a real joker. He laughs at everything. He makes fun of me all the time. But I look up and I see his face in heaven. I've never seen it. I know he's in heaven. And it's a huge face, and he's smiling, and he turns, and he laughs like he always does, and he disappeared. I thought, heaven happens fast. It happens fast. And then, and then to make the story more complete, I said, okay, God, thank you for showing me heaven happens fast. Can you bring him back? And we got him to the hospital, which is four miles away, the hospital also getting shelled, put him in there, and the Kurdish doctors, we've, been, we've known them for a while. We've been with them this whole fight bringing in casualties. They worked on him for an hour and a half after he's dead. Oxygen, adrenaline, electric shocks, everything. And finally, I'm pumping his chest, praying the whole time, every prayer, crying. And the doctor finally puts his hand on my arm and he goes, is it enough? He said, he's dead, isn't he? He goes, yeah, you know he was dead before you brought him here. But we kept working on him till it was enough for you because we love you and we loved him. He's our brother. And we all start crying. <laughs> And they're going to, we're trying to rebuild the hospital there in his name. But 
that vision of heaven gives me hope that it is fast. And when I saw Zhao's eyes looking at me, he didn't look at horror at, oh my gosh, there's a war. Oh my gosh, there's a bloody dead body and it's mine. Oh my gosh, Dave's going to die. It was, good job, buddy. Keep going. This is God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Keep making it more like this place. You'll be okay. That's what I really felt. And then he laughed at me. And so I thought, okay, thank you, Lord. It's going to be good. Amen. You know, that story of Stephen getting stoned to death and he looks in Acts chapter seven, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing. And uh, we know that Jesus ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the father. So the picture that you get is Stephen is faithfully given his life in this very violent death. And Jesus stands up to give him a standing ovation into heaven. And uh, thinking of somebody like Zhao in that moment, or for all of us, that heaven is just a moment away. And that's the hope that we have in the gospel. So we want to pray for Dave and his ministry. First, before we uh, uh, do, can you share with them where to go? If they want to get behind you, they want to help you, they want to pray for you, they want to donate, um, tell them about the website and where to go to. Thanks. Uh, Free Burma Rangers. Free Burma Rangers. <laughs> and um, freeburmarangers.org, that's our website. And you can go there for any information. Uh, if you want to get hold of me directly, you can get it that way. Or you can email me at eubank, at, that's my last name, E-U-B-A-N-K, at pobox.com. If I don't answer you, just keep doing it. Because I already missed David's text. So website's the easiest, but you can also contact me and pray you can please pray for us and if you want to volunteer you're welcome if god sends you or come for a visit or however else god leads you amen and there's a table out there and uh pete put oh, some yeah. stuff on it you got some magazine I'm yeah in the back where's that pete back left outside those glass doors yeah there's a bunch of day of prayer for burma because we were asked by one of the resistance leaders, a woman, some of you know Burma, Ansang Suu Kyi, the elected leader of Burma under house arrest still right now, Nobel Peace Prize winner. I met her in 96. She's a Buddhist, but she said, um, please pray for us, start a day of prayer for Burma. So there's a magazine called Day of Prayer for Burma. Please take it. And there's an annual report with stories in it and kind of shows you what we're about. Take them all. Hey, let's stand together, Dave. I want to pray for you. Hey, would you guys stand? Just join with me. Father, thank you for Dave and Karen and Pete and the girls, Lord, and their ministry to stand up for the defenseless, to help those in need, to bring medical assistance, to rescue, to help, to feed, whatever the needs might be. Lord, we pray that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing to supply those needs. The, the things that are specifically right in front of them and on their hearts, Lord, would you provide and just a, a wonderful abundance. Lord, fill them, continue to fill them with faith, hope, and love. Lord, in your goodness and your faithfulness, we pray that you would go with them, have your angels about them, and may they sense that voice behind them as they turn to the right or the left, as Isaiah says, this is the way, walk in it. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, Dave, for coming. Bless you, brother. light in the darkness, I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. 
And you've got truth for the taking But my heart won't be shaken If today be the day that I die Whoa, 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 whoa Times of trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I will keep my heart seeking